0: He rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the ribs God is an awesome God There's thunder in his footsteps, lightning in his fists God is an awesome God Well, the Lord wasn't joking when he kicked him out of Eden. And it wasn't for no reason that he shed his blood His return is getting close, so you better be believing Howdy, y'all. Welcome to today's message, which is titled, Three Billboards Outside of Waco, Texas. You know, it's good to be back with y'all again, and I I would like to thank Roger for filling in uh, last Sunday. Well, Tina and I were in Texas. We were helping our daughter, Mary, move into her new apartment. Uh, She's a senior uh, this year at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. Uh, We headed out on the 27th, and then we spent the week helping her get settled and building furniture and and all that stuff that goes along with moving into a new apartment. And then uh, Tina and I flew back home on the 3rd. So before we get started, let me pray. Good and gracious God, we are in awe of your glory, and we thank you for your great mercy. Lord, I pray that whatever words that I speak this morning, are pleasing to you and beneficial to my brothers and sisters. I lay everything before you, Lord, trusting that your will be done. Amen. Well, one of the things that I could not help but notice about that part of the country is that there are a lot of religion-themed billboards. There are billboards for churches of all denominations, uh, there are billboards that some of them even invite people to leave the church and, and embrace secular causes like uh, uh, women's rights and alternative lifestyles. There are billboards that remind you that uh, America is still a Christian nation. And some of the billboards uh, invite liberals to keep on driving and, until they're out of Texas, uh, which is way harder. Than it sounds because Texas is really, really big. I have my my reservations about the effectiveness of these billboards, and I, I wonder to myself if if anyone has ever made the decision to follow Jesus because of what they read on a billboard. Maybe, you know, but I I do have my doubts. Uh, What I did find, however, as as we drove along and and I read the messages, was that it felt good. It it felt good to be reminded. It it felt good to read that Jesus is Lord or that Jesus has the answer to any problems in my life. There was a particular style of sign that caught my attention. It, It was very simple, it was brief, and it was absolutely true. On these signs, there was a a one-word question answered with a single sentence. The look and the content of these signs, well, they stayed with me. Uh, I got back home from the trip, and, and, and the wheels in my brain, they kind of started turning a little bit. What if, I thought to myself, what if I were to use the messages from these billboards as the framework for a sermon? Now, see, I knew what I wanted to preach about today. I knew that I wanted to give another message of of hope and comfort before launching into another series, which by the way, is going to be a good old fashioned book study. But anyway, I I wanted to give another message of of hope and comfort because this lockdown situation has not really gotten any better. In fact, here in Santa Clara County, uh, it seems that we've taken a few steps backward. Well, I was able to remember about three of the billboards, but I knew that there had been more. So I did a little bit of detective work. I, I went to my computer and I typed in Texas Jesus billboards. And I, I found a couple of the billboards that I had seen. Well, I was able to, to get the picture large enough to read the logo on the bottom of the sign. And, and I found out that they had been put up by an, an organization called Christian Aid Ministries. Uh, located in Berlin, Ohio. So I called them. <laughs> I got connected to a, a really nice lady by the name of Alma, and uh, I explained my story to her, I, I told her what I was planning to do, and she told me that there were actually seven billboards in the series, and that she would send me a list of what was written on them. Well, of the seven, I, I chose three. Uh, three that I felt would be most applicable to I, to excuse me, I I chose the three that I felt would be the most applicable to our current situation. Now, we're going to set this up. So I want you all to imagine that we're heading down a Texas highway and we're heading towards Waco. It's hot outside, of course, even though it's after nine o'clock at night. and, And fortunately, we have air conditioning. The air conditioning is working like a champ. You know, we Probably have a bottle of of sweet tea in the cup holder and the cruise control is on. Well, looking around, we're, we're amazed, uh, that there aren't any mountains. And in fact, there aren't even any hills. Uh, a few of us might even feel a little bit uneasy when we look, when we look out over a terrain that is so flat and a terrain that is so flat that stays that way until it meets the horizon and not just on one side of the car, everywhere you look, flat, going out in all directions. Everywhere you look is the same. Well, as we get closer to the city, we start to see the usual suspects, the the little shorter signs that for gas, food, and and lodging. And and as we get closer, we start seeing the, the big signs, the really tall ones for the truck stops, right? Well, with those truck stop signs still in the distance, we start to see the billboards. And as we get close enough, we're able to read the following message on one of them. Anxious, Jesus offers rest. Anxious? Who isn't anxious right now? Uh, It feels like there's been something new to be anxious about every week since March. Will I be able to stay healthy? Will my family and friends stay healthy? When will I get back to work? Will I get back to work? When will my church meet again? How are my children going to be able to uh, complete their school studies? And how do I process this new normal without totally losing it in front of my whole family? Do any of these questions resonate with you? Are you just tired of what's happening in the world? Maybe it's time for a rest. Jesus knew that there were going to be times in our life when the world was going to beat us up. He knew that there were, there were going to be times when we were physically and mentally exhausted and unable to properly care for ourselves. And if we're not taking care of ourselves, Anxiety and worry, they're going to, they're going to be magnified to, to a paralyzing degree. But Jesus offers rest. Jesus offers and invites us to rest, to rest in him. So, so listen to the invitation from Matthew 11:28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Jesus doesn't just invite us to rest. He also provides examples of three types of rest, spiritual, physical, and mental. First and foremost, Jesus modeled spiritual rest. This is a rest that we find when we are alone with God. This was a priority for Jesus, and it should be a priority for us as well. We need We need to be alone with God, to hear his voice, to understand his direction for us, and and sometimes to simply rest in his presence. Think about what Jesus did on the night before he was crucified. On a night that when he sat down to dinner, he knew that one of his friends would betray him and that another friend was going to deny even knowing him. And he knew that the next day would be his last. Talk about being a little anxious. But what does Jesus do after dinner? He goes off into the garden by himself to be alone with God. Jesus also modeled physical rest. In Mark chapter 4, we read that Jesus fell asleep in a boat in the middle of a storm. The disciples are are frantically running around, scared, and they eventually wake Jesus up. And you all know how the story ends. Uh, Jesus rebukes the storm and the seas become calm. The point here is this. Jesus knew that he needed his rest and he refused to get caught up in the drama until he had decided that it was time. Years ago, my, uh, my pastor taught me this phrase, the false sense of urgency. The false sense of urgency. That is when a person or a situation seeks to draw us into the whirlwind of their drama. Anyone who has ever worked with the public knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, when I was at the music store, there were always these guys who, who would rush in, you know, 10 minutes before closing, uh, in a whirlwind, and because they had forgotten something. They were on their way to a gig, and they had either left something behind or something had broken, and... And they were in a total panic. Well, sometimes they they would almost seem offended that I wasn't acting as panicky as they were. Uh, It wasn't that I didn't care about helping them solve their problem. I just knew the value of remaining calm. You know, you always go with the least number of maniacs whenever possible. And lastly, Jesus modeled mental rest you know sometimes we we just need to get away uh, for a while you know you go to a place where where nothing or no one is making demands on us jesus wasn't afraid to get away from people uh, who were demanding and, and clamoring for his presence he would get into a boat and he'd have his guys row to the other side so that he could focus on God and what God wanted him to do. Jesus didn't let the pressing needs and desires of others drive his activity, and neither should we. It is not selfish to want time for ourselves. On the contrary, it's an act of worship. It is a way for us to let God know that we value the mind and the body that he has given to us. It is a way to say thank you this wonderful gift. Well, as we drive along, the glow of the the city lights are are growing stronger. And as we get closer to our destination, the billboards are are becoming more frequent. And unfortunately, so are other cars. Well the traffic starts to slow down and and we feel a sense of dread. We feel that sense of dread start to rise And, and we think to ourselves, Please, please keep moving. I am so tired of being in this car, and, and I am really wishing right now that I hadn't drank all of that iced tea. But, as luck would have it, there's road construction going on ahead, and they're funneling all the traffic down into one lane. So close. And now this, we think to ourselves. We sit behind the wheel, which we are gripping way too tightly where we're clenching our jaw and we're feeling we're feeling helpless and angry and very very uncomfortable and we happen to look up and we see another one of those billboards and we read another one of those questions which asks frustrated you bet we are we are so frustrated that we we almost miss what the rest of the sign has to say the answer to that one-word question is, Jesus offers peace. When we are frustrated, Jesus offers peace. I know that each and every one of us is is feeling some level of frustration today. I say that because I'm here recording this message instead of being able to speak to you live on Sunday morning. The fact that we have not been able to gather together since March is a source of great frustration in churches all over the country. We are not alone. Compounding the frustration is the lack of a, the lack of a clear path out of this mess. Are you kidding me? <laughs> a, a computer glitch right in the middle of a place that is named after a computer part. This is Silicon Valley. And uh, the irony is almost too much to take in. The world right now is stuck in a huge traffic jam. There is health unrest. There is social unrest and economic unrest that is preventing us from moving forward. And we're tired of it. Feelings of of helplessness have turned to frustration. And that frustration has become a disease in the the literal sense of that word. A, A sense of unease has made it very, very difficult to find peace. Fortunately, for all of us, there is a source of peace that, that is beyond all understanding. In John 14:27, Jesus had this to say, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. It is very important for us to recognize and appreciate the context of this verse. These words are, are part of, of what is known as the upper room discourse. This is when Jesus talks and prays during the Last Supper, which is documented in, in chapter 13 uh, through 17 in John's Gospel. When Jesus spoke these words, he he had already told his disciples that that one of them would betray him. He had already told them that one of them would deny him. And, And this fact brings to light a very important aspect of the peace that Jesus is talking about. How could any of his guys feel anything like peace after hearing what they had just heard? More importantly, how were they going to find peace after what was going to happen that following morning? The peace of Christ is not dependent upon outside circumstances. Thank God. That is really, really good news. Can you imagine if it was based on how accurately the COVID-19 test results were being compiled? Or if it was harder to find during peak hours? Thankfully, the peace of Christ is available full strength all of the time, And it doesn't matter what else is going on around us. One of my favorite illustrations for the peace of Christ has to do with the man who wrote the hymn, It Is Well. His name, for those of you who don't know, was Horatio Spafford. And he lived from 1828 to 1888 in Chicago. Mr. Spafford was a prominent attorney. He was an elder in the Presbyterian Church, and he was very good friends with the evangelist. Dwight L. Moody. He was married and had four daughters. Well, in 1871, Mr. Spafford lost a considerable amount of real estate to what later became known as the Great Chicago Fire. Two years later, he's still trying to rebuild his business, and he was struggling with zoning issues that prevented him from any new construction. Well. At that time, the family had had planned a vacation to England. Uh, The whole family was heading over to hear their friend, D.L. Moody, speak. So Mr. Spafford, he sent his family on ahead with the intention of joining them later. On November 22nd, 1873, the ship carrying his family was struck by another vessel. 266 souls were lost including all four of Mr. Spafford's daughters. He was informed of the tragedy by his wife, who sent a telegram that simply said, Saved Alone. Well, as soon as he was able, Mr. Spafford got on a ship and started heading towards England, where he would meet with his wife. And then one day, during the voyage, the ship's captain came to him, and he told Mr. Spafford, that they were passing over the very spot where his daughters had perished. Mr. Spafford didn't say a word. He went to his cabin, and in, in one single sitting, he wrote one of the most beloved hymns of all time. It is well. This is the first verse of that hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. That, my friends, is the peace of Christ. A peace. That allowed a man who was in the grip of unspeakable tragedy to turn his eyes to the Lord and and write something of such lasting beauty that we still sing it today. Jesus loved his disciples and and he loves us. He, He wants us to have peace in all circumstances and he wants us to find it in him. The traffic jam has slowed us down a bit and, and we've lost some time. But we're finally back up to speed and we're gonna make it. But being the natural worriers that we are, we start to wonder if our hotel reservation is gonna be there when we arrive. Or or even if the reser- or even if the reservation is still available, what if our room turns out to be on the the bottom floor and right above us is an Irish dancing team that that likes to practice at two o'clock in the morning. Worse yet, what if the Wi-Fi connection is too weak? Or if the TV only gets local channels? This is scary stuff and we're worried. With those worries and, and concerns swirling through our mind, We take the exit to our hotel, and as we do, we catch sight of one more of those question signs. This one reads, Concerned, Jesus can be trusted. Concerned, Jesus can be trusted. Back in June, we talked about how God works all things for our good, but there are still times when we act, myself included, when we act like we don't trust him, times when when we are unwilling to take him at his word, either out of fear or pride or both, we can be unwilling to fully trust Jesus. All of us, hopefully, have someone in our life that we trust absolutely. For many of us, that person is our spouse. and If not, it should be. Um, For others, it might be a parent or a close friend or perhaps their pastor or maybe it's a group of fellow believers in the church. Or it could be a combination of of all of these people. Having someone that we can trust is a wonderful thing, but the the, the person that, that should be at the top of our trustworthy list is our Lord, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the most trustworthy person in the universe. He is so trustworthy that all of the Christian faith depends on our trust in him. We are to take him at his word when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's from John 14.6. We trust in Jesus. We trust that, that he was who he said that he was and that he did what the Bible tells us, that he did. There's no, there's no other way around this. Our, our trust in Christ alone is the only way that we will, that we will ever experience eternal life. Now, in keeping with the the numerical theme of this message, I want to give you three reasons why we should trust Jesus. Number one, Jesus is God Himself. John 1:1. In the beginning was the Word. That is how John referred to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. Jesus is fully God. The very same God who is described in Deuteronomy as follows. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. That is who Jesus is. Every single one of those descriptive attributes can be applied to Jesus. There has never been, nor will there ever be, anyone like him. Jesus is the one and the same as the God who created the universe, who who worked out our salvation, and who continues to work for our good in all things. Jesus is not a created being. He's not a demigod or an angel, and he certainly wasn't merely a teacher or a prophet. If Jesus were not fully God, he would not have been able to accomplish the next item on my list. Jesus defeated sin and death, two of God's most powerful enemies. In doing so, Jesus did something that no man or other deity could ever have done. Jesus lived a totally sinless life. When we read about the lives of others, even the ones that we would refer to as heroes of the faith, we find that they all had to fight temptation and sin, and they fought unsuccessfully. However, Jesus never succumbed to sin. Never. Jesus also defeated death. He gave up his he gave up his own life and then then rose from the grave. Jesus is victorious over all of God's enemies. In Psalm 110, David tells us that Jesus is seated at God's right hand and has made a footstool out of all of God's enemies, all of God's enemies, which includes death. And finally, Jesus loves us. He simply loves us. By this alone, we have reason to trust him. Knowing that someone loves you is, is a most solid foundation for trust. When we are absolutely convinced beyond all reasonable doubt and by a preponderance of the evidence that someone truly loves us, we know that we can allow them access to our hearts. We can share our our deepest fears, our fondest desires, and our most hidden secrets. We can do all of these things without a second thought because we know that we aren't going to be judged, ridiculed, or rejected. Uh, Jesus is worthy of our trust at the highest level because of what he was willing to do for us. He was willing to be born a man and live a sinless life. He was willing to set his Godhood aside, to take our place on the cross. He died and he rose from the dead, ensuring that we would have a place in heaven. That is a love that can be trusted. Now, I hope that that our little trip down a a Texas highway has reminded us of how amazing Jesus is, How, how fortunate we are to call him Lord. The three items that we've talked about, they're just a glimpse of who he is and and what he offers. There is so very, very much more. There is nothing that we are ever going to face where Jesus won't be able to help us. But it really helps to be in proper condition, to fully take advantage of, of that help. So, you may say, tell us, Jim. What is proper condition? Well, first of all, we aren't doing anybody any favors by letting ourselves get physically run down. Our bodies are a gift from God, and we have to be good stewards of that gift. Proper maintenance uh, requires that we allow our bodies time to rest. When we are tired and exhausted, we don't make the best choices. And, and if any of you are like me, uh, you might even get a little bit fussy and, and short-tempered. Proper rest has a positive effect on the body's ability to fight off infections and disease. And, and I don't think that I need to elaborate on the, on the necessity of that particular benefit when we are in the middle of a pandemic. Just like Jesus did, we have to be able to let the world turn without us for a while. And get some sleep. Even if if we are feeling physically fit, though, our minds are, can still get beat up. The, the pressures of of having to cope with new challenges, while uh, attempting to maintain some semblance of normalcy, is an immense drain on our little brains. A while ago, I I talked to you about the negative effects about or the negative effects that bad news can have on our mental state. I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry to report that nothing has changed uh, in that department. There, there are so many distractions d- demanding our attention that our minds get oversaturated to the point where something has got to give. Well, the distractions aren't going to go away, so you can guess what's going to give. Before it gets to that point, though, we need to take action. We need to get away and let our minds enjoy a little R&R which is rest and recuperation. Try. Try to find time when you can go somewhere and and think of nothing. It isn't easy, but we have to be able to, to break what they call the stress response cycle. That is, when our minds are feeling so stressed that a physical effect is caused in the body. We, you've heard of stress headaches or uh, stress tension in the back in the shoulders. That's a stress effect. That's an effect from having stress in your mind. So the physical effect gets created in the body and that in turn sends a stress signal to the brain. Well, when the brain gets that stress signal, it sends another signal to the body. So. There is this cycle of stress, physical stress, causing mental stress, mental stress, causing physical stress. And it continues in this vicious circle until that cycle is interrupted. So if we can calm our minds, uh, our minds will recuperate. But we need to give them that opportunity to rest and to recuperate. And as a result, our, our whole body is going to benefit. Having a, a body and a mind that is relatively stress-free, that's the I- ideal condition for spending time with the Lord. When we seek our spiritual rest unencumbered by physical needs, like sleep or hunger, physical needs and... Okay, when we seek our, our spiritual rest Unencumbered by physical needs like sleep or hunger and, and mental distractions, we are in the best possible space to go before the Lord. There will be times, however, when, when we have to seek God under less than ideal conditions. We may find ourselves in a situation where we need His peace immediately, even though our minds might not be in that great of a place. And, you all know what to do when this happens. You pray. You pray earnestly for the Holy Spirit to grant you his peace. Now, Right now, I have a little story uh, from my own life that, that I want to share, share with you all about that very same thing. See, for most of my life, I suffered from a morbid fear of the dentist. As a child, I, I had a, a couple of very negative experiences that, that left me traumatized and terrified over the prospect of going to the dentist. So much so that it took considerable amount of pain to get me to step into a dentist's office. Well, about 20 years ago, I, I had a tooth uh, completely go ballistic on me. An upper left molar had had gone bad, and, and I was told that I needed a root canal. I, w- I was pretty freaked out about this. Uh, I had never had a root canal before, uh, but boy, I certainly had heard people talk about them. Uh, the dreaded root canal, the mother of all procedures that is universally regarded as the worst-case scenario. Well, anyway, I, I forced myself to go go to the the dentist to keep my appointment and before long there I was Leo you know, laying back in the chair staring at the ceiling and you know my palms were wet i could, i could feel my my heart beating in my ear and i started to pray i recited what i was able to remember of the 23rd psalm and then in my, own, in my own head, I started to sing a worship song. Now, back then, I, I didn't know a lot of worship songs. But I remembered that I started singing Shout to the Lord. And you all probably know how that one starts. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. I was filled with a sense of peace that I had never Ever felt before. And I'm not just talking about in the dentist's office, I'm talking anywhere. And then, and from that day forward, I've, I've never felt that fear and anxiety that I used to feel. And in fact, my dentist and I are friends. Uh, he has, on a few occasions, come out to the high school to watch Mary when she was in the high school musicals. And we occasionally, when we can, we go out and have a cheesesteak lunch. And that's my story of of the peace that surpasses all understanding, because it certainly uh, surpassed mine. And looking back on on that event, I want to make that, want to make the following observation. You know, I was able to tap into the peace of the Lord because I trusted him. I knew enough about Jesus to know that he had only the best of intentions for me. Even though I was in a, a pretty scary situation, I knew that I was going to be all right. Sometimes that's the best that we can hope for. The circumstances around us might not change for the better. In fact, things could even get worse. But if we are trusting in Jesus, we can know with certainty that we're gonna be alright. Trusting Jesus is the firmest of foundations. And, and it allows us to, to build our faith without worrying about what tomorrow is going to bring. The, t- the temptation to take matters into our own hands, to shape our own future, it's a powerful distraction that can cause us to react to situations in the wrong manner. See, you know, what appears to be self-sufficiency and a can-do attitude is not always a good thing. It may be evidence of a sinful pride, a lack of humility that, that puts the belief in our own abilities above that which God can do. Remember what is written in Psalm 118. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than it is to put confidence in man. We must strive with great humility to surrender our lives to Jesus, to trust him in all things, secure in the knowledge of his unfailing goodness, his boundless grace, and his eternal love. Now, I had mentioned at the start of the message that I had my doubts about the effectiveness of using roadside billboards to bring people to Jesus. In fact, I noticed in Roger's message from last week, that he mentioned a similar sentiment. Uh, You may recall uh, that one of his points toward the end of the message was that signs can stimulate but not demand faith. Now, I promise you that there was no collaboration between Roger and I. This is just another example of God working in all things. Signs can only do so much. They are inanimate and they are transitory. Think about how many signs you've driven by each day. Think about how many of those on your way to work, on your way to school, on your way to church, how many signs you've driven by. And if we were to give everyone a pop quiz right now, how many of them would you remember? What if I were to tell you about a sign that could talk? How about a sign that could answer questions? How about a sign that could demonstrate the very product that it was advertising. Does that sound cool? Well, I hope it does because I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me. We are the signs that can point people to Jesus. Granted, billboards are huge and they have fancy pictures and provocative questions with scripture references. But if someone really, truly wants more, They fail. We have been given an opportunity through through faith in Jesus to live in a manner that people notice. We have the ability to cause someone to ask us why we did what we did, or why we said what we said, or why we aren't doing what everyone else seems to be doing. Our lives are meant to be an attraction and an advertisement for the transformative power that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If your life were a billboard, what would people think that you were advertising? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, our rock and our refuge. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to uphold us and strengthen us in these difficult times. Though the world is dark, we trust in the light of your word and we pray for the opportunity to share the hope that we have been given. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be gracious unto each and every one of you. May the Lord turn his face to make it shine upon you and grant you his peace a peace that passes all human understanding. Amen. I love you all. I look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, We will start on a series, a book study on the book of Philippians, a very joyful book. So I, I look forward to sharing that time with you.
1: If I was given one word to describe what communion means in the life of the believer, that word would have to be grateful. Our salvation came at a high cost. God sent His very own Son, Jesus, into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him, as we read in John 3:17. He willingly sacrificed His innocent life as an atonement for our sins. And we remember that sacrifice when we come to the Lord's table and share in the elements that Jesus shared with his disciples in the upper room on the night before his arrest and eventual crucifixion. We have bread, which represents his body, and we have juice, which represents his shed blood. If you have these elements ready with you this morning in your homes, we'll take these elements together Reading in in the Gospel of Matthew in uh, chapter 26, he records the evening as such. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Let's take this together. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is the blood of my new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take the cup. Father, you love us way beyond we're able to comprehend and we're grateful for that. Thank you for sending your son on our behalf to forgive us of our sins, Lord, and make it possible to be restored to you. And for this, all we can say is thanks, but we say it from the bottom of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise is rising, and eyes are turning to you. We turn to you.